We'd like to welcome everyone this morning into the house of prayer and house of worship. Uh, we'd like to start first with any greetings or announcements. Any greetings? My greetings. Thank you, Sister Monica. Welcome back. Extend our greetings to the family as well and to the church. Thank you, Brother Angela. Uh, for those that haven't heard yet, uh, the funeral for <coughs> Angelo's grandma, Teresa, Brother Paul's mother, is uh, going to be this, this coming weekend, correct? But it's only a private family this coming Wednesday. So we would ask everyone to please keep uh, the family in prayer, the uh, siblings, uh, the husband, and um, please be in prayer for Paul's dad. What's his name again? Uh, John. John. Please be in prayer for John Scala for his salvation and also for the siblings uh, that they would come to know Christ. Any other greetings? We're going, we plan to be at Easter <clears throat> camp uh, next, uh, starting next uh, Sunday and do some traveling beforehand and then after. We'd like to be gone for about two Sundays after. Maybe we'll be in Richmond, Virginia. Not sure exactly where we'll be. Thank you, Brother Eric. The Lord be with you and uh, give greetings at camp. Many of us are going to camp as well, so we'll be in prayer for everyone that's on the road. It's a long way, and please be in prayer for everyone that they have a safe trip there and back and a blessed time there as well, as well as in Richmond or wherever you may be, as well. Any other greetings? Greetings for the Svirat sisters. Thank you. Greetings from uh, Kitchener Strasburg Road. We're meeting this. Thank you, Brother Josiah. Greetings from Kitchener Strasburg Road. <coughs> yes, Brother Edmund. Also, God be with you and um, give you safe travels there and back. And greetings wherever you may, who you ever may talk to that asks about us. Um, having said that, there's a possibility that I may be in Warren next, the week following camp because um, um, of our visitation schedule from before and since Veronica uh, Bolarat's passed away, I'd like to visit the small congregation there. If I do go, I'd like to take the church's greetings. Thank you. Any other greetings or announcements? Sorry? Okay, Mark, brother Mark uh, Savin went camping and he extended greetings. Went with the Windsor youth? Yeah. With the Windsor youth, thank you. Please extend greetings <clears throat> to all those that couldn't be here and uh, if you see them and talk to them. Just a few announcements this morning. The focus of the month for July is the Cheerful Giver uh, uh, charity. The uh, proceeds will go to, the packaging will go to the Ukraine for the relief there in the, for the Ukrainian brethren. Um, Strasbourg Road will be doing all the packing, but we would ask that our congregation supports this worthy cause to support the uh, and re give relief to those 
that are in Ukraine, the brethren there. Those that are interested in a camping trip, I guess it's an annual camping trip for the youth, um, please meet in the multi-purpose room right after services. So uh, Brother Edmund's going to give some details and announcements concerning that. <coughs> this coming Wednesday, there'll be no CFG as already had been um, uh, announced. Uh, many people that attend will not be here for that, uh, for that day, but for those that are remaining, we will still have a prayer meeting on Thursday, and then the weekend, weekend of camp, we will not have the prayer meeting. So still coming Thursday, prayer meeting at 8.30, uh, but CFG is cancelled for this week. Lord willing, next week, Brother Paul Kozitsky and his wife Maria will be here on Sunday for the morning. So unless things change, we'll only have a morning service for next week. And um, so please be in prayer for that. Also, we have received a few announcements, additional announcements just, just at late here in the, in the office. Um, Brother Edwin extends greetings to the church. Sister Bev is not well and uh, extended greetings, so she stayed home. And also, <clears throat> Sister Agnes requests prayers for her husband, Harry Oram, who was admitted to hospital with uh, issues with hernia. He's weak and in pain uh, and will hopefully have surgery today for his hernia. Uh, prayer to guide the uh, physician's hands during surgery and that Harry recovers well. So please keep Harry Oram in prayer. If there are no more announcements or greetings, let's all bow the, our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace this morning hour. What a beautiful morning you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the sunshine. We thank you, Lord, for the many that could make it here this morning. And we're also thankful that there are many that are online also participating in this worship service. And we pray that as your word goes forth, it would not be the, the personality but it will be your Holy Spirit that speaks to us because we know that your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth. Be with us, be with the sick, be thou their comfort, their strength, and with the lonely and shut in. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this uh, morning's text, I'd like to turn with the Lord's help to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. The Gospel of John, chapter 16. Beginning to read at verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. 
Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth good, God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. <clears throat> of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have <clears throat> yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. I've read up to and including verse 16, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel to pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we read these words this morning hour, as we soak in the living word, we are almost overwhelmed as we realize the promise that has been left us, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Dear Father, we realize that even now in this moment, we have everything that we need through him. All that the Father hath hath been given unto Jesus Christ and Jesus, You've provided everything for us through the Holy Spirit that you've promised and have left. Dear Father, we're overwhelmed by this. We are satisfied. Our souls are satisfied. Dear Father, there is nothing else that we need. And dear Father, this morning hour where we're not satisfied, where, where there is discontent or restlessness, dear Father, we realize that's an indication of not a complete filling, of not a complete surrender. Dear Father, we pray that even this morning hour, the Holy Spirit would do his work in the hearts of each of thy children and would show them, each one of us, the intimacy that is available, the closeness of walk with the only true God through his Son, Jesus Christ, by means of the Holy Spirit. Dear Father, this morning hour, there are many needs, many physical needs. We're mindful of Harry Oram, who's in hospital and we're sure is in a state of, of, of pain and, and weakness, dear Father, may be troubled in his soul, may be wondering what 
his future brings, dear Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to him even this morning hour, would speak to his heart, show him what he needs to do to place his trust and his faith in Jesus for complete assurance, for complete rest, even at this moment, dear Father, that he would experience salvation, the knowing of thee, that the barriers, the scales would drop from his eyes as they did from Saul's eyes, as they did from all of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we realize what thou hast done, who we were, dear Father, and who thou hast made us. This morning hour, we pray also for those that are uh, weak in, in faith, those that are struggling with big decisions, that are doubting, dear Father, which way to turn. Be with them. Help them to realize also that they have everything they need as they call upon thee, as the spirit of the Son that is in them cries out, Abba, Father, that is what they need, dear Father, at this moment. And as they cry to thee, thou wilt guide them, thou wilt provide that will give them that assurance, that victory of faith that overcomes the world. Dear Father, we pray for those that are, have a burden with ongoing chronic illnesses this morning. That uh, this morning may be like many of the others that are past for years and years, that there seems to be no alleviation of, of their condition and maybe it's getting worse and uh, things are deteriorating further. Especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray for them this morning hour. Strengthen their faith. Sustain them, dear Father. Carry them in thy arms this morning. Help them to know that they are sheltered. They are provided for. Dear Father, speak to them and show them the glorious plan that thou dost have for them. The plans that thou hast for them. Plans to prosper them. To truly prosper them. It may not be in this body, this physical body that decays. It may be waiting for the courts of glory. Help them to see that clearly this morning and, and rejoice in it. Dear Father, we pray for those this morning hour in this room who do not know Thee, those that are still waffling and are uncertain of the status of their soul, are uncertain of what they need to do, are uncertain of even something as simple and fundamental as baptism. Dear Father, we pray that they would see clearly that it is in simplicity that thy gospel is received. It is in humility, it is in truth, a letting go of ourselves, dear Father, that, that we are transformed by thy grace. We pray that they would see that this morning, that they would be transformed. We pray for all those this morning, and particularly the, the brother that's going to preach the word, that's going to expound upon it, dear Father. We pray for the needs of all those that, that preach that they would have courage, that they would take strength from Thee, that they would depend upon the Holy Spirit to minister and to serve. We pray that that word would go in clarity and would go in power and strength. Dear Father, we thank Thee again. We, we praise Thee, we adore Thee for Thy goodness. And dear Father, we want to do that with consistency, not only on days like this that are beautiful and that our hearts may rejoice in Thy goodness, but on days that it's a struggle. So, dear Father, help us to do that. Help us to be strengthened even this morning in the inner man. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus through the promise of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This year's camp theme is 
centered on revival. And as I studied the word, although I knew it, I thought I knew it, just to see what the meaning really meant to different people. If you go according to the Webster Dictionary definition, it's bringing back to life or from unconsciousness somebody that has been in that state. And we know that there are many <clears throat> situations where young children drown and they've been underwater for 20 minutes and they're brought up and for some reason they're resuscitated. They're brought back to life even though their vital signs may have stopped. We know that many that have been in fires and inhaled smoke and so forth have been miraculously resuscitated. Revival also synonyms for uh, to be awakened, to be woken up out of a sleep or a stupor. As a matter of fact, some people consider those that don't want to believe in Christ and cannot deny the facts of the crucifixion and the, and the burial and the resurrection have a theory that Jesus just swooned. He didn't really die. He just went into this comatose state and, and happened to be released from a tomb with a huge rock that was guarded by, I believe, four guards. But when it comes to the human predicament, when it comes to the human condition of being of a corrupt nature, of being dead in trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2 says, the Apostle Paul says, but you hath he quickened. It's the old archaic term for made alive. Not brought back to life, but you be made alive. You were dead. You were dead. You were born in trespasses and sins, David says. In, in sin did my mother conceive me. We as humans are prone to sin. Not that the child sins straight away, but you don't have to teach him how to sin. He'll find it himself in very short order. And we <clears throat> were, as humans, dead as Adam died, spiritually separated from God. We also, we are dead. Adam being the head of that race of sinners. The second Adam, the last Adam even says that in 1 Corinthians seven, uh, 15, it says, was Jesus Christ. And in that last Adam, all shall be made alive. As you go through the annals of history, you will see the, the ups and downs, not only of the children of Israel in the book of Judges, and they went down and down and down and down. But you'll see the human history, the course it has taken. You would think that living in the 21st century, 
we would have solved all of man's problems with our ability to grow GMO crops, genetically modified crops, that we can just fertilize the ground and produce the kind of seeds we want to get the most abundant uh, reap, reaping efficiency, if you will, that we have enough technology that we could solve all of man's problems. That's what they thought in the 1700s when the age of rationalism came, when science was becoming very popular, when they thought this is now the age of enlightenment. Now we're beginning to understand how we can control our own destiny and you don't need God for that. It's all up here. Well, there were some faithful men of God that realized that is not the solution. When they observed the depravity of their own so-called um, Christ-believing people that believed in Jesus but lived sinful, horrific lives, drunkenness, brawling, Stealing, thieving, allowing poverty to go uh, rampant, not caring for the street children. But as long as they could have and make their way through their capitalistic ways, as long as they had the money and the comforts of home, it's all that mattered. And it is said that God initiates revival. It's only the Holy Spirit that initiates revival. And I believe that. I believe, as we read in 1 Corinthians, in John 16, I, I believe that it says here, the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to the Father, he started off in John 14. He says, because I go to the Father, I will send you a comforter. He, was, he has been with you, but now shall be in you. And if I don't go, the, the comforter will not come. The paraclete, the strengthener, the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you and guide you in all truth. He will give you everything that he's speaking to the disciples specifically, but it also applies to us. He will remind you of everything that I have told you, have spoken to you. And so there were those men in those days and before that, but specifically when I'm thinking about revival, as you do a study on revivals throughout the, throughout the world. And I believe a, a few Sundays ago, Brother uh, Eric preached from Deuteronomy 32, something like that. And, and uh, it, it, it was sp supposed to be, I believe, the scripture that Jonathan Edwards preached in New Hampshire or Vermont, some up there, up north. It was called the, great, the beginning of the Great Awakening. Where people were woken up out of their spiritual stupor and sleep and death. And the, the sermon was named uh, the 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. And people were crawling down the aisles and weeping and lamenting and moaning over their sin when he spoke the plain truth of the gospel. It wasn't an emotional round of two hours of singing and back and forth and getting people tired and, and, and somehow trying to alter their state of their mind and then giving some emotional sermon and now follow this preacher or this person. It was the truth, the word of God, as, as mentioned already, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. When these sermons were, were analysed, when these preachers were analysed, they said, what was it? What, what made the revival or the awakening so effective? Because they spoke the word of God. They spoke the word of God. There was another preacher, his name was uh, George, you read it as Whitefield, but pronounced Whitfield. And he had a bad eye, I think it was the left one. Something happened during a surgery gone wrong, or medication gone wrong, and they called him Dr. Squintum because he had this bad eye. But out of his mouth came words of truth about what a man needs to do to make right with God. And he talked about change. He talked about change in ways that the people could understand. In pictures and storytelling, explaining the words of Christ. What they meant, how they can relate to it. And he and... John Wesley were kicked out of the churches of England because their preaching was too harsh for them. Their preaching was too piercing, too convicting, so the doors were shut to these two people. And when Whitfield heard that Wesley was shut out too, he called him to Bristol, a mining, a mining city. He said, come to, come to Bristol, preach from the open air. And they got up on this mount, and it's still there, this, this podium where people can go see and see how we can look down upon. And, and they say that up to 20,000 people could gather at once, and his voice would carry. And he talked about their lives. He talked about their sin. He talked that if you want to come back to God, if you want to come back and be, be saved and, and, and live with him eternally, and live a life that is worth the living. You need to change. You need to change from the inside out. That's what John Wesley did. And then they both went over to the USA. John Wesley two or three times and Whitfield three, two or three times. Whitfield had 18,000 sermons. Wesley rode, I don't know how many hundreds and thousands of miles on horseback just delivering the message. And you know how the, you know how the, after the revival started, you know how it continued? They didn't keep just coming back to here, Whitfield, because they weren't always there in the same place. Guess what they did? 
They started off little churches here, a little church there, a little church over there, a little church over there. They had prayer meetings. They met. And you know what? It wasn't for one hour. It wasn't for a three-quarter hour, maybe with me, maybe it's an hour sermon. But they were there for two, three, four, five hours and they didn't want to go home. The farms were vacated on Sunday morning. They said, George Whitfield's in town. The farmers left their equipment. They took their wives and their children and they, they, they hurried down to this particular location. And as one farmer could see from a distance, he said, he saw this huge dust cloud from a, from a long way away. He thought, what's going on? Is it a storm? Is it a mist? Is... And when he came, he realised hundreds and thousands of people had gathered with their horses and carriage, raising this dust to see and hear this preacher. Why? Because they were hungry for the word of God. They were hungry for the word of God. Because they realized that the lives that they were living and that the lies that they were given by others were not were lies. They weren't true. Just the pure living word of God, that crystal fountain that we sang of this morning. Jesus said. I was with you. I've been with you. I've been teaching you, healing you, living an example of a sinless life. Knowing that nobody could live a sinless life, but that he could give them victory over sin, to have the ability to say no to sin. And he said... And how many times did he say these things, these things, these things, these things, these things. Everything that I've just told you in the last chapter and two chapters, 14 and 15 and 13, the Lord's Supper. These things I've told you. That when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not at you at the beginning not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. I was with you. But now that I'm leaving, I'm going to leave you this legacy. And he kept, continued on into chapter 17 before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he told them some more. But none of you asked me, where are you going? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And, I will, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that will reprove the world of sin. It will reveal to the world that they are sinners. It will convict the minds of the individuals. 
It doesn't mean that every single mind and heart that is convicted will turn, will repent, will come back to his creator. But he has done his job. He said in Isaiah 55 that the word of God will not return to him void, to his creator. He will send it out. It would accomplish what he has sent it out for. Knowing that there are going to be some that are going to reject it. And he sent preachers. He sent prophets. He sent men of God throughout the ages and the apostolic age. He sent them out two by two. And then later on he said in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. He sent his his emissaries, his prophets and, 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 and apostles to preach the word of God. And it was the Holy Spirit that reminded these apostles of what to say. He said, this doesn't come by any private interpretation. But they were moved and they wrote things down as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So he said... <clears throat> The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. Secondly, he said that it will convict you of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe on me. The biggest sin that anyone on this earth could ever have, could ever commit, is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness for that. He said he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But whoever received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even unto them that believe on his name. In John chapter 3, he says, this is the condemnation. Even though before that he said God gave, he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But then he said, <clears throat> in the following verses, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't even come to condemn. He didn't even come to judge. He will come da down again once Again as a judge. But he didn't come the first time to judge. But that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You're done from the start. When you reject Jesus Christ, you're done from the start. Don't say, I've been a good boy or I've been a good girl. Don't say, I've had helped old ladies cross the road. Don't say, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't believed on his efficacious blood, which he shed on the, cruise, on the cross of Calvary, if you have not picked up your cross and followed Jesus Christ, none of your good deeds, none of your good works are going to help you. He said, and this is the condemnation. 
that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You love darkness. If you reject Jesus Christ, you are loving darkness. And the two cannot mix. Paul says to the Colossians, we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the light of the world. It's a translation. We are taken from one realm to the other. But if you love sin and you want to have your sin, there's no hope. There's no forgiveness. Then he says in back to John 15. So he will condemn or, or reprove the world of sin, the Holy Spirit, and of righteousness and of judgment. Of righteousness, why? Because I go to the Father. Jesus was on this earth showing us how to live. Showing us and teaching us what righteous life looks like. What does righteousness mean in this sense? What is righteousness before God? You can study the book of Romans and you'll see about 35 times he talks about righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. The righteousness of God. When we are righteous, we are fulfilling and adhering to the covenant laws of God. We are abiding its acceptance to God because we are doing his will. The first thing that we need to do is believe. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God by believing the gospel story and how his blood applies to my sin. But then we've got to live righteous lives. We walk in a newness of life by keeping his commandments, as it says here in, 1 John, in, in John 16. This is not a work salvation. Salvation comes purely by the grace of God. We are saved because he is good, not because we are good. We are saved because we believe in the only begotten Son of God. And you can see that throughout the, the book of Acts and throughout the epistles. John, uh, Romans chapter 4 says, are we saved by grace or by works? Was Abraham saved by grace or by works? Or faith or by works? We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2 says. But... You go back to chapter 15 of John, the one we just read now, 16. Before that, he talks about abide in me and I in you. If you don't abide in me, you cannot bring forth fruit. You cannot bring forth fruit in abundance for you have not chosen me, he says. But I have chosen you, he says to the disciples, that you would bring forth much fruit. And if we don't have the fruit... Do we really have the faith? That's what James says. Go to James chapter 2. Show me without your works your faith. 
and I'll show you with my works, my faith. Who will be justified? Are we living by faith? Are we walking by faith? Are we working the works of faith through love? Galatians 5 says. Do we have the love of God in us that we can work these works of faith? So when Jesus leaves this earth, he said, I'll send you another comforter. He's going to come because this comforter will be able to continue producing righteousness in his followers. He says, why? Because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. So not only will he convict of sin, but he'll enable and empower us to do the Father's will. To say no to sin, to say yes to righteousness. And then the last one he says, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict or reprove the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. There's going to come a time when all the injustices, and it happens too now, maybe we don't see it all, but God has ways. People call it karma. Nothing to do with karma. When bad things happen to bad people, they're just sowing what they reap. When bad things happen to good people that follow God and do his will, there's a purpose for it. To show us how to deal in trial and tribulation, to encourage others, and other reasons beyond our knowledge and understanding. There was a, there was a woman, I don't know if some of you have heard of, a Helen Rosevere. Helen Rosevere. I, I, yeah, I, I, I did the same thing. I never heard this woman before. But she was a doctor in England. And growing up, she grew up in some church of England, whatever it was, Presbyterian, I don't know. But <clears throat> she went to Sunday school, and she learned a lot of these lessons in Sunday school. And one day she told her Sunday school teacher, I'm going to one day be a missionary. But getting up, going older, and, and going through uh, primary school, high school, and so forth, she became a bit worse than she'd ever, she thought she'd get. She became selfish, she became prideful. She always was giving the, the, the pat on the backs by the teacher. This is what, look at what Helen did. Look what she did. And she, she loved the praise of men. But when she went once to a college, university in England, she thought she'd be alone. Make a long story short, she was very insecure. And could she meet friends, make friends? Someone posted on her mirror in her dorm, we are having a meeting after supper. Do you want to come? Room 12. And so she did. And she went there. And there were many, many people at supper, but only a few in the room. And the girls were having a Bible study. And that was, she was seeing how intentional they were about God and how much I really believed in God, the way they spoke, the way they talked, the way they befriended her. And she went back to her room feeling rather empty. And she began to be very, very depressed. And one day she saw this sticker on her mirror again. 
Or she saw it not a sticker, it was a, it was a verse that was someone left there. Be still and know that I am God. And that was the beginning of a change to Christianity. And when she graduated as a doctor, she went to the Belgian Congo, where she started churches, uh, start, wanted to start a hospital, should I say. And instead of being the doctor, she rolled up her sleeves and she started digging the foundations with the, with the people there that needed a doctor. And over many, many experiences, she was humbled by some of the Christian pastors there. There was one time when the revolution occurred in 64, where the rebels came and took them captive, all expatriates captive, and treated her roughly and terribly. So much so that she was physically and sexually abused, and she thought, God has now abandoned me. Again, she thought, for the second or third time in her life, and she realized God didn't abandon her. But then she said she had this warm feeling come over her. She's warm feeling. And she had in her mind this saying that she kept, and, and, and she's written so many books on this, that says, God asked her a question. Will you thank me for the experiences I give you, even though I never tell you why. And she was so full of warmth and, 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 and inspiration, she brushed that off and continued. And she died at the age of 91, giving a testimony to the world. There are things that we don't understand that the experiences we go through as children of God, some of them may seem very, very unfair, but the Holy Spirit, the same one that convicts of sin and the same one that uh, reproves of righteousness and the same one that will convict the world of its atrocities, judge the world, will one day judge and reveal all the inequities, all the injustices that occur to us. And we haven't probably gone through half of what many went through. But that doesn't make us feel any better. But what we have to understand, it is the Holy Spirit that initiates this revival in our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerates us. We have a part. Do you know the word conversion? I think only occurs twice in the New Testament, two or three times. And maybe two or three times in the Old Testament, if that. But there's another word in the Old Testament which means just the same. It means turn. Turn from your sin. Return unto me, saith the Lord. Come back. Our job is to respond to that Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to listen what the Spirit is saying to us. And then respond. We are not robots. 
where he zaps us and now we have no option but to respond. We have a choice. Choose this day whom you shall serve. We have a choice. Jesus says to the nation of Israel before he was taken to the cross, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and ye would not. Is he powerless? If he says that, that I would have done that, but you, you refuse me, you're more powerful than me? No. He lets us make our decisions. If we don't want to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if we turn him away as the, the, uh, the Pharisees did when they suppressed him, when they saw miracles that they could not explain, they said, don't confuse me with facts. Jesus must have done that by the builds above the prince of the devils. It couldn't be anything else. And Jesus said, that's blasphemy. Anyone, anyone that speaks evil of, of my Father or God, anyone that speaks evil of Jesus, me, will be forgiven if he repents. But he that speaks evil or blasphemes the Holy Spirit shall never be forgiven, not in this world nor in the world to come. When you reject the very source of your regeneration, what hope do you have? What hope do you have? And Romans 1 says, because they like to do this, Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is God blessed forever. For this cause God forced them into vile affections. No, God gave them up. God gave them up to vile affections for their eyes for the, even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving to themselves that recompense of the error which was meet. They received what they worked for. What they deserved. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord my dear one don't blame God for your status for your predicament for your condition look inside that's what revival is all about inside God regenerates man from the inside out not from the outside in not by doing good works and then God is going to accept me. No, it's a regeneration. It's a quickening. It's a making alive that which was dead. I don't have time, but I do want to read a hymn which was 
which really touched me a lot, not because Fernando Ortega sang it, but it's when I first heard it. There was another revival in Wales, the Welsh revival in 1904. And among many names, one was Robert Evans, who quit his schooling so that he could preach the gospel. And within a matter of three months, he had gone through all these phases to prepare himself for the preaching of the gospel. And the gospel was preached then, and it spread from town to town, to village to village. It wasn't this charismatic, uh, uh, you know, rolling around and all that kind of stuff, you know, 50,000 in one tent. It wasn't that. It was the preaching of the word of God. And it had a very similar effect as Jonathan Edwards had in, in Hampshire, New Hampshire. And it caused people to see themselves not to become better people. God doesn't want better people. God wants changed people. God wants people that have been made alive in the spirit. There are many better people on this world, on this earth. God wants changed, quickened, regenerated people. In his kingdom. And this hymn seemed to be the theme of the Welsh revival. You can read it for yourself. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed the guilty world in love. Here is love vast as an ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. One mark of that and many revivals was that they experienced this deep love for God. Women, men crying, I love God, I love Jesus. Peter says that one of the signs, and John says that one of the signs of a born again believer is love for the brethren. And that was one of the last commands that Jesus gave to his disciples. Are you born again?
Have you been truly quickened and revived? I pray that you'll take the time. This is only a, not even an hour sermon. But you take the time to be alone with your maker in your room and question who was this man Jesus? Why should I follow him? Your answer is here in the scriptures. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes the message. Please, a, a brother, find a Hymn number 179 from the Zion's Harp, 1, 3, and 5, verses 1, 3, and 5.
Father in heaven, we come to you knowing and convicted of our sins, whether it was brought to our consciousness now, whether we're made to realize that it was wrong, or maybe there are things that we know that we're doing that is wrong, Lord. Whether we're omitting doing things that you want us to do or committing things that we know that we shouldn't do, Lord, we believe that this is where it starts, um, the, the quickening, the, the making alive in our hearts. Um, it's to first confess our sins, to realize that uh, our, our sins are what separate us and you. And Lord, in this process, while we deny self and, and are emptied of, of these evil things, Lord, let us remember that we shouldn't end there, but we should look to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be made alive and to... Uh, really live an abundant life that you want us to live, Lord, especially spiritually. And Lord, let us examine ourselves to see if we have any of the fruits of the Holy Spirit and if we're doing things that you want us to do and uh, if we're really truly seeking your will and following it. Lord, it might take some time to grow. It, some people might start off in a worse place than others, but that doesn't matter. But as long as as long as that self dies, that seed dies in the ground so that we're made alive, so that we can really have joy in the spirit and peace in the spirit and rest. Lord, all these good things are, are in you. And so let, let us not forget that. Let us not hear the sermon and think that you uh, hate us or that you want to condemn us with these words, but that these words are for our own good, that they're a warning. Um, but you wouldn't speak them to us if you don't love us. And so, Lord, let us remember these things in our day-to-day -day lives and the small things, not only just the big things in life, but the small day-to-day -day things. Most of us live a mundane or just an everyday life, um, but in small things, we can look for you. We can look to see how Jesus will do things in those small things. We can look where to serve you. And Lord, for some, uh, if, if you call us to uh, do some bigger things uh, for the church or for those out there, Lord, let us be humble and let, let us not look to ourselves in that, but let us look to you and to uh, fulfill your glory and to praise you and worship you, Lord. Um, there is so much more that you want to say to us, Lord. Perhaps uh, maybe we pray a lot with words um, but sometimes uh, we need to listen more to you, and many times we do need to listen more to you. Lord, let us not um, let us not do away with the alone time with you, where we can be um, listening to your spirits prompting, um, and let us also look to do good for others and to be with others and to love others, Lord. Um, we pray that all these things will be reminded to us throughout the week, and uh, we pray that we might be a light to others, um, especially first in our family and also to the world out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Father, concluding him. Hymn number 140, all three verses.
permit me just to read a few verses from the beginning of another revival in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 15. And it starts with the Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Revival is always very close at hand. It's as close as God is to us, as we want to let him be to us. It's as close as this Bible that we pick up and read. It's as close as the Holy Spirit speaking in our hearts. We tend to hear these accounts and think, wow, that's so distant, so far, so foreign. But revival is always very close because it starts with individuals. It starts with Asa and his individual decision to to, to cleanse, to remove, to, to restore good things, to not withhold his own grandmother who was in, involved in idolatry, and then it spreads to a nation and a gathering of people together and, and, a, and a coming together and a, a real national revival. Revival is always very close. It's God's will. It's as close as us hearing God's word and responding to it. My friend outside of Christ, if you feel that God is distant, that this life that we talk about, this revival, this new life in Christ is very distant and very far away. It's as close as the conviction that you have this morning of your sin, that you realize you are a sinner. It's as close as the conviction this morning that you have that the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ is far from you. It's as close this morning as, as the conviction that there is a coming judgment. If you realize those three things, New life is not far away. Please respond this morning to this invitation for true revival. My brother and sister in Christ, the Lord is with us while we are with him. If we seek him, he will be found of us. May the Lord bless this word this morning. May he prepare our hearts for revival. With that, we'll conclude this morning's service. And commit each